Good afternoon, dear colleagues, dear participants of our today's event, and of course, good afternoon, dear friends on the other side of the screen. Greetings from Riga. My name is Evia Djarković and I'm researcher at the Latvian Institute of International Affairs and Riga Stradinch University. And it is my great pleasure to welcome you all at our today's event devoted to the presentation, discussion and also reflection upon our uh, latest study, uh, which assesses how have we, the Baltic and Nordic neighbors of Belarus, responded to the crisis that unfolded in the country right after the presidential elections of 2020 so far. And what can we do more and possibly what can we do more together uh, on the one hand, to stop the brutality of the regime, the brutal crackdown, and of course, on the other hand, to help Belarusians in their effort to start a new page in the country's history. Well, and in this context, um, it is quite important to note that at least for us, the both such aspirations are actually very well known, very familiar. Um, as little as 30 years ago, our people were similarly uh, ready to manifest on the street their intention to break away from the grip of the Soviet Union and um, to step on the pathway to independence, democracy and prosperity. But well, back then societal engagement was not an ultimate aspect of success. Uh, in the early 1990s, um, Western support was instrumental for democratization process. Well, and uh, our Nordic countries, our Nordic neighbors uh, play the key role in this. In the case of Belarus, it seems that uh, the Western community is somewhat more hesitant or maybe incapable to offer some tangible support or maybe simply lacks political will to do so, which likely hampers success of Belarusian people. Well, but let me stop here for a moment and leave space for debating this at um, our discussion part. And now I would like to introduce two very special gentlemen for introductory remarks. And uh, let me start with uh, Mr. Stefan Eriksson, director of the Nordic Council of Ministers office here in Riga in Latvia, and also kind supporter of this project and great friend of Belarus. So Stefan, please, the floor is yours here in the studio. Welcome to the Nordic Council of Ministers office in Riga and a big thanks to uh, Ria and in particular to Evia for suggesting uh, this project to us. Uh, it should be said that foreign policy issues are maybe not the highest priority of, of our office. Uh, this uh, subject seemed so interesting that it was really hard to resist this proposal. It can also have something to do with the fact that I have a, a personal history in Belarus. I spent seven years there uh, uh, as Sweden's uh, ambassador. Um, my main takeaways from this report is that the Baltic and Nordic countries haven't been indifferent to what has happened in Belarus during the last half year. Uh, there have been taken actions, decisions, different in different countries, which can be explained, of course, by, by different uh, uh, things, by, by geographical proximity, by uh, history, by, by culture. The main idea is, of course, not to rank uh, uh, who has done the, the most. Uh, uh, I think, though, it's very helpful to uh, reflect what we can do together uh, to strengthen the impact 
And I also believe that it is uh, our duty here in the Nordic Baltic region to react to what is happening in, in Belarus. As you are aware of, the uh, Belarusian authorities' repressions is, are, are still continuing. Uh, we read still uh, every day about people uh, being arrested, uh, uh, journalists, artists, uh, well, different people. Uh, uh, I mean, I personally low know uh, uh, a lot of people that have, have suffered uh, during the last half year and that, that some of them are still in prison. Um, so I think it's crucial mainly that we just don't accept this happening. Uh, we should also, of course, be aware of that there is no sole step or sole action that would resolve uh, the crisis, the situation that we have in Belarus. If there were, I think it would have been resolved already uh, since long. And in the end, of course, the, the main burden, the main responsibility uh, uh, of, of what will happen in, in Belarus uh, lies on, on the Belarusians themselves. Still, to me, Belarus is a northern European country. We have a lot in common. Uh, potentially, actually, I would say that Belarus even uh, um, could be a part of, of a wider Nordic Baltic region. Uh, and it is, as I've said, very important not to give in to, to the fatigue uh, uh, that sometimes we, we may feel. Uh, there are a lot of problems in our own countries. There are a lot of problems all over the world. Uh, expectations from Belarusians on us may sometimes be unrealistic. Uh, but we also, I think, need to, to keep in mind and understand the, the desperation that many people in Belarus feel today. And the least we can do, I believe, uh, is to show strong solidarity and never get used to the repression that we see in a neighboring country of ours. Long live Belarus. Je vais Belarus. Thank you, Stefan. Um, and now I would like to give a virtual floor or actually virtual microphone to Mr. Andris Sprutz, Director of the Latvian Institute of International Affairs and Professor at Registradinch University. Please, Andris. Thank you so much. Uh, and of course, uh, ladies and gentlemen, dear colleagues and friends, good afternoon and welcome everyone. Uh, I guess we are, of course, here to discuss a diverse converging uh, regional responses to the post-election developments in Belarus. Uh, what we see and what we experience in Belarus is a political crisis, it's a democratic aspirations, it's brutal violence and it's autocratic power grab. But of course, uh, we can also say that developments in Belarus have important implications for all of us, for the neighbors and for the region. And uh, already, as Ambassador Stefan Eriksson was saying, I mean, events in Belarus have also touched upon hearts and minds of our own societies. There is a resonance of what's going on in our neighborhood within our own societies, within our own countries. Uh, in general, I think we can say that the crisis has undermined the hopes that we can engage with autocrats and gradually somehow turn them into the Democrats. And of course, uh, this publication deals primarily with initial Baltic and Nordic reactions, but certainly it uh, implicitly and also explicitly raises even more fundamental questions. How we can deal, how we can proceed with repressive autocratic regimes in the neighborhood and not only in the neighborhood, also beyond the neighborhood. So I would uh, add that this is a very timely, very important, 
competitive publication and event. Uh, certainly, we are very happy to partner with the Nordic Council of Ministers' Office in Latvia. Many thanks personally to the Director Ambassador Stefan Eriksson for seeing this as an important, for seeing important also how in the region we respond, what are our diverse and in many regards also converging responses. Uh, we are also very grateful to a distinguished set of authors and distinguished set of speakers has joined us in the process and also today. So uh, from my side uh, and on behalf of the Institute and on behalf of the partners, I can wish a dynamic and insightful debate today. And certainly we should keep the issue of regional responses to fundamental challenges in our own neighborhood uh, among societies which we also care about on our political and research agenda. So wishing a very dynamic and productive debate today. And back floor to you, Evia. Okay, uh, thank you very much, um, Andres and uh, Stefan as well for your actually very relevant comments. And uh, before we proceed, I think a few words about our today's agenda also are needed. Uh, so we'll start with a brief presentation of the main research outcomes. And then we will proceed with an um, expert debate. And uh, today, actually, we have uh, gathered the full spectrum, let's say, of uh, experts. We have uh, academic representation, we have policymakers, and we have uh, policy implementators. And let's hope that we will have also um, opposition of Belarus up here with us today. And um, so in the discussion part, I kindly encourage um, our audience to pose questions to our distinguished guests. And for doing so, uh, you um, should uh, use a Slido application. And um, so you can see the um, entrance password, entrance key um, in your screen, in the corner of your screen. So great, it seems that also uh, Frana has joined us. Uh, so indeed, we have representation of Belarusian opposition as well. So thank you for that. And um, at this point, um, I would like to um, introduce all our distinguished guests of today. And uh, let me start one by one. So uh, we have today Mr. Ramonas Velpischauskas. And uh, he's Jean Monnet Chair Professor at the Institute of International Relations and Political Science at Vilnius University. And I should uncover that um, Ramonas is also co-author of the study and he covered chapter on Lithuania. So, hello Ramonas. Then uh, we have Mr. Hans Wallmark. Um, and um, Hans, he's a Swedish parliamentarian and he's uh, actually recently former president of the Nordic Council, which is a parliamentarian dimension of the Nordic Cooperation Platform. And uh, so he has been closely engaged in the Nordic Baltic cooperation. Um, hello, Hans. Hello, and, hello. Um, then we have Mr. Andres Williamsons representing uh, Latvian side, Latvian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and he's director of the first bilateral relations department. And he's a person directly and permanently working with bilateral relations of Latvia and Belarus. So uh, thank you for joining. And uh, last but not least, we have Mr. Franak Vyachorka, and he's senior advisor to Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya, the leader of Belarus, uh, Belarusian opposition. And in many ways, I guess I can say that uh, Franak has been engaged in a Belarusian opposition for a couple of years already. 
and uh, maybe using this opportunity, I would like to promote his documentary, which I accidentally recently found on YouTube called Lesson of Belarusian. And uh, the, the movie, the documentary, um, illustrates events happening in Belarus during the presidential election 2006 and gives very personal insights on the brutality of the regime already back then. And actually, we can see many parallels with the situation, with the current situation. So that's my advice for later tonight or today evening. And uh, gentlemen, already thank you very much for joining me today and let's hope we have a great event together. And um, now, without further ado, uh, I would like to proceed with a kind of presentation or a listing of main outcomes, main conclusions of our research that we are debating today. So this is what we found out. Let's start with the Baltic countries. Um, it seems that the Baltic countries Lithuania in particular, but also Latvia, um, as the most immediate neighbors to Belarus and also economically most engaged and therefore uh, most independent with Belarus, uh, can be fairly called sort of front runners or pace setters of Europe's collective response to the crisis, at least in the initial stage. Um, so the Baltic countries uh, kept the issue on the agenda of the leading international organizations, uh, including the European Union, Council of Europe, uh, Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the United Nations, where, by the way, Estonia currently held, uh, holds position of a non-permanent uh, member of the Security Council. And of course, the Baltic countries uh, demonstrated their resolve also by their own example. Uh, so, uh, national and also regional uh, sanctions across three Baltic countries were imposed. So, uh, the Baltic countries jointly blacklisted more than 150 Belarusian officials. And actually, just recently, very symbolically, on March 25, the Freedom Day of Belarus, the Baltic countries announced one more round of uh, sanctions, adding around uh, 118 uh, more officials uh, to the list of persona non grata. And, uh, well, apart from this, uh, many uh, significant state-level projects were suspended or cancelled. For instance, Latvia uh, withdrew from the initiative of the Joint World Ice Hockey Championship with Belarus that had to be held um, actually in May, uh, very, uh, very soon. And uh, also Latvia uh, cancelled the electricity purchasing uh, deal with the recently built Astravets nuclear power plant station. So all in all, even if more symbolic in their essence, um, s those steps uh, served um, uh, for actually for two purposes. On the one hand, for uh, punishing uh, Belarusian regime, but on the other hand, uh, actually for pressuring uh, further international engagement and partic uh, particularly the EU, as the constant making on sanctions uh, was actually quite slow. So um, in this crisis, so far we could say that the Baltic countries uh, punched above their weight. And um, then if we proceed with the Nordic uh, countries, then um, um, what uh, our research uncovered was that for most of the Nordic countries, Belarus uh, was a country that uh, barely existed prior to the crisis. Um, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Norway and Iceland um, are of course more distant and um, largely interact with Belarus through the international organizations and uh, platforms formats 
And uh, there are not so many significant uh, links, neither political nor economic or, or even uh, societal in terms of tourism. And uh, subsequently, those national responses were uh, largely streamed via international formats, uh, where, of course, the Nordic countries have significant uh, influence and impact. Uh, as regards the collective uh, actions taken by the Nordic countries, so uh, they increased support to the civil society and held consultations with Belarusian opposition. However, rhetoric remained their main foreign policy instrument throughout the um, initial phase of the Belarus crisis. So, and what we have concluded from all of this, um, first of all, um, it is pretty clear that uh, geography and uh, prior relationship intensity really matter when it comes to engagement um, in international crisis. And if we put it in other words, so if I'm a country in trouble, then it might be of crucial importance who are your neighbors or who are my neighbors and how engaged, how bilaterally engaged we are and how internationally influential are those neighbors to facilitate further international reactions. This is thing or point number one. Then if we proceed to point number two, um, it um, became clear that um, except from suspension of already sort of limited political dialogue or relations with the regime and um, some negative implications of travel restrictions um, due to the COVID-19 on, on societal engagement and movement, there were no too many other implications, uh, particularly on the Belarusian regime. So, um, in particular, what really matters for the regime in crisis uh, is economic interaction, right? And it seems that it has remained so far um, unchanged. Of course, I have to admit that uh, there were certain limitations of statistical data availability and maybe it's still too early assessed, but nevertheless, um, economic interaction remained. And uh, thirdly, which is quite important um, conclusion as well, is that the study clearly depicted that even um, among between two geographically close regions and eight politically, ideologically close countries, um, perceptions and reactions to the Belarus crisis were um, actually quite different. There were countries that um, already from the very beginning of the crisis, uh, there were strict uh, um, and in favor of sanctioning policy against the regime, but uh, then there were countries that were in favor of dialogue uh, with, uh, with the current uh, Belarusian regime in the initial phase. And then there were other countries that um, engaged in the crisis and solution of the crisis rather out of solidarity with neighboring countries than uh, out of genuine interest in uh, what's happening in Belarus. So this would be, in short, from my side, uh, thank you. These have been observations um, and, and the research. And for more methodological um, details and also for if you would like to see or read the full text, please check the policy brief, the research uh, uh, on the homepage of Latvian Institute of International Affairs. So, and finally, we have come to the point, to the part where we um, I would like to engage also our experts and um, to see what they have to say about already past steps and uh, future prospects. Let me start with the first question, um, which I would like to ask uh, actually to all of you. Let's do a round of uh, answers. 
and it would be um, I would uh, I would be keen to um, to hear your assessment of um, response of your country of your region and of um, Europe or and actually Western community at large um, to the uh, Belarus crisis. Um, so what measures were taken so far? How do you assess them? And um, let uh, me start with the most immediate uh, neighbors and let us start uh, probably with Lithuania as uh, Lithuania can be fairly called uh, really a pace setter uh, hosting leaders of opposition, urging for sanctions and doing much more. So Ramunas, could you please comment, how do you see from your perspective what has been done so far on those three levels? Hello, uh, thank you Abia and uh, I want to thank uh, colleagues in Riga for leadership in, in uh, this initiative in undertaking this study, inviting me to contribute to it and also to participate in this discussion. My answer, which I have to limit to three minutes, uh, will start from the end of the question. Uh, how, uh, my assessment of European Union's uh, response uh, to what happened in Belarus. And I would say that uh, the response of the EU represents what was possible, taking into account three factors. First, divergence of national priorities of European Union member states. Cyprus, uh, of course, comes uh, to our mind first here uh, with, with its initial foot dragging uh, with respect to uh, the introduction of sanctions, uh, targeted uh, sanctions by the whole of the EU to the officials of the regime in Belarus involved into uh, fraud elections and, and violence against its citizens. The second factor, procedures and institutions which uh, have their aim at uh, forging a consensus among all EU actors, but it is a time-consuming exercise. And the, the third factor is the influences of other external actors. Of course, first of all, Russia uh, comes to, to my mind here. So having in mind these three factors, I would say what took place in the last uh, half a year or, or a bit more uh, was what was possible to, to do. But what was possible on behalf of the EU does not equal what was desirable by some of its member states, uh, first of all, Baltic states, and, and uh, especially Lithuania. In Lithuania, reaction was quick. Well, first of all, there was uh, an offer to mediate uh, between opposition and ruling elites in Belarus. There was an offer to mediate uh, between ruling uh, elites in Belarus and the EU. Uh, there were various positive incentives offered. First, when it turned out that there is no dialogue, no meaningful dialogue uh, in Minsk, then of course, uh, uh, Lithuania turned to sanctions policy and parallel support to 
democratic activists, uh, hosting them in Lithuania, uh, providing providing facilitated entry, uh, and and so on. All these measures are described in the study, so I won't uh, go into them. So Lithuania uh, was indeed fast and comprehensive in its uh, response, uh, and it was trying to involve other uh, regional neighbors, first of all, Latvia and Estonia, and Poland, uh, often acting together with Poland, sometimes with some other EU member states, uh, for example, Romania, sometimes uh, together with Poland and Ukraine. So uh, these, I would say, were the most important features of Lithuania's response. And often this turned into a regional response of all three Baltic states or Baltic plus response, as I would call it. Was this sufficient? I don't think so. If we apply a standard of uh, uh, ideal, a desirable response, no, but if we see how EU reacted, I think it was quite okay. I'll stop here. Okay, thank you, Ramones. Yes, uh, desirable and uh, actual uh, responses and things sometimes differ indeed. But now let's proceed with uh, Mr. Um, Andres. Uh, so, um, it seems that Latvia has changed its stance vis-a-vis -vis Belarus quite significantly, considering the actually a decade of lively political and economic interaction. So, how would you comment the responses from your perspective and uh, possibly from, from, from the inside of the system, right? Thank you. Um, with, with pleasure, as, as indeed, as you said, if, uh, I one of these one of these persons who are permanently dealing with Belarus. I, I, I came to Riga from Brussels in September, kind of in the middle of um, in the middle of the crisis uh, when I started in the Minsk, and and since that I think that seventy percent of my time I, I, yeah, I'm I'm responsible for a whole former Soviet space, but indeed like 75 percent of my time I have to deal with issues related to the Belarus, and it's very natural because it's. It's important neighbor of ours, and as you said, there have been you know pretty intensive uh, relations between the neighbors, and uh, there have been ups and downs. Uh, if we go back before 2015, the relations were not the, the best and the perfect. I think the turning moment was was Crimea and uh, occupation of Crimea and uh, the stabilization of uh, Donbas. And afterwards, uh, the policies that Lukashenko um, implemented to, to, in a balanced way, we have to give, if we go back to their history, we have to give credit for what he did in 2015. Uh, in not siding with Russia, not recognizing occupation of Crimea and, and helping to mediate uh, with the Minsk talks. I think that was the moment when EU and US changed its policy towards uh, Belarus. I think in that's in that context should also uh, Latvia's policy be seen since 2015. Obviously, the, the, the changing moment for our policies was was uh, fraudulent elections and and most importantly the violence against uh, the demonstrators. I was a few weeks ago in in Moscow in 
uh, with consultations with our Russian partners, and we obviously discussed Belarus uh, as one of the important questions. We are both neighbors and I'm both interested in stability. And obviously we were also urged our Russian partners to talk to the Belarusian civic society. Uh, but uh, I think that to my surprise, uh, it, was, it was surprise for the Russian colleagues uh, that one date can change so much in one country's uh, attitude. But indeed, I think it, this one date change was a game changer until until these fraudulent elections and and this violence, I think Lukashenko was well, very popular in Latvian society. You know, I come from a small town of Latvia. I think you know, in general, he was very popular, but I think he lost this popularity and support in the Latvian society in one day or over the night. So obviously, the government policy had to change. The, the, the government had to go along with public 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 opinion in Latvia and obviously that's that 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 that's a explanation uh, why our policies changed and obviously the the economic uh, relationship with this country was 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 important as the trade between neighbors is always important your neighbor is always one of your most important economic partner uh, be it Russia be it Belarus Whoever is your neighbor, it's very important in your economic uh, relationship. But I think that the turning moment was, and 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 uh, this 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 moment, and government recognized that, yes, trade is trade, economic economics are economics, but you cannot have a predictable and stable economic relationship with an actor who is not predictable and. Uh, who is unstable and be, is and, and is being controlled by manipulative third power. So that that was the moment. But if you if you could briefly just summarize in one sentence, so how would you uh, how what's your assessment of taking measures? Are they sufficient? They're not. They were timely or just some some brief comment uh, about the essence, right? You you provided us the historic background, which is. Uh, valid and, think, and relevant but i think ramundas was very much correct i think you, you we we as as eu we did what we could do in general i i i would say that the reaction was fast and appropriate in on, on political terms there are nuances that we can talk about but uh you know sanctions more stronger sanctions I, i'm ready to go on this deeper but i think in general it was timely, timely, timely reaction, and the reaction that was possible, considering uh, the limits that that uh, that our Lithuanian colleague mentioned, and considering the the role of Russia. Thank you. Okay, uh, so let me proceed with another question uh, to my Baltic colleagues before we go ahead with the with the rest of participants. Um, Anja has already touched upon the underlying motives of the let's say, uh, turning uh, of relations uh, with Belarus. Uh, you mentioned public um, opinion uh, that has shifted. Uh, but uh, what about, uh, let's say, values um, underlying the, the response? Uh, let me put it a bit differently and provide a bit of context. So 
uh, well, all in all, it seems that Lithuania and Latvia were um, actually very active if compared to other regions and other uh, players um, in Belarus crisis. And seemingly those countries pursued values-based foreign policy, which is not necessarily directly linked to the public opinion, right? Uh, and um, especially uh, those two countries had to think probably twice before uh, sanctioning or blacklisting Belarusian officials because there's always possibility of retaliation, um, especially when you have some economic engagement and there was a possibility of retaliation, for instance, in transit area, right? Uh, so on that side, it seems that, okay, we did a great job that uh, we really initiated sanctions and kind of pursued, uh, uh, well, we put values on the first line. But on the other hand, let's be uh, frank, those uh, sanctions were more symbolic than, uh, than painful. And uh, I really doubt that uh, Mr. Lukashenko even noticed uh, that he is now uh, banned from entering Riga for another glass of, uh, I don't know, Riga balsam or having zeppelins in Vilnius for dinner. So what really matters was economic interaction. Uh, but somehow it was not really uh, included in the uh, sanctions, so economic realm was not touched in this uh, in this uh, package of sanctions. And furthermore, uh, Lithuanian side directly opposed initiative of Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya to uh, to to uh, impose sanctions on Belarus Kali, uh, producer of uh, potash fertilizer, because it's a trade partner, important one for uh, for for Klaipeda port while the Latvian side was not very keen to include in the EU sanctioning list uh, uh, Alexander Oleksin, um, regime-affiliated oligarch, right? Uh, because he owns businesses in Latvia and employs people. So the question comes out of, uh, of this. Can we really say that uh, Latvia and Lithuania pursued values-based foreign policy or it was rather an illusion with still economic experience uh, somewhere kept in mind. So, Ramonas, maybe you could continue. Thank you, Evie. Uh, good question, and this is a traditional question, and I think the answer depends on what is the baseline for comparison. If we compare reactions of Baltic states with uh, some other EU member states, uh, as we already discussed, they went quite far and uh, quite fast. Uh, actually, some sanctions included also economic entities such as SPA in Druskininke, a small resort town which is very popular among uh, people, citizens of Belarus, including actually officials, uh, part of the ruling elite. So I think it would not be totally correct to say that there were no economic uh, transactions affected. And it is not without the reason that Alexander Lukashenko was uh, publicly threatening a number of times in September, October last year to close the border with Lithuania entirely, to close the uh, border with Poland, to redirect all transit from Klaipeda to, to other ports. Um, so so I, I think uh, if we compare with other EU member states, as I said, uh, the response went quite far 
but if we compare with ideal standard, of course, uh, what we have now is a sort of compromise. Uh, compromise which excludes state-owned, uh, targeting state-owned enterprises uh, of Belarus, uh, which of course would have uh, immediate uh, negative uh, economic and financial effects on, Belar uh, on budget of, of Belarus. It would also have effects on, on uh, Lithuanian economy if Lithuania alone went ahead with such sanctions. And uh, the position of Lithuanian government is that it would support such sanctions if there was a common position of all EU member states. And in a sense, I can understand this because otherwise uh, Minsk can play off uh, Lithuania against other EU member states, you know, by, for example, redirecting transit through Latvian ports or, or, or some other ports. Uh, of course, he is working with Russia, but there are limits how much uh, Alexander Lukashenko can further increase uh, his dependence on Russia. So I think, uh, therefore, some of his uh, talk was uh, just uh, threatening, but not uh, responding uh, to, to Baltic states' uh, uh, measures. Uh, but I do agree that what we have is a compromise, uh, which leaves space for further actions if there is no improvement in Minsk. Okay, thank you, Ramona. So you called the approach compromise. Um, Andres, how would you call? And uh, maybe continuing, Lithuania would join uh, and um, go ahead with uh, sanctioning also state enterprises if others would join. So how do you see, would Latvia uh, agree on such further steps? Obviously on, on, on sanctions, we're ready to continue to work, but, and I can go into details on this, but I think it's, it's, it's very wrong to put the emphasis on, on, on sanctions as such. I think sanctions as such are not policy. I think if we go back to the autumn and, and, and the, the EU reaction, I think the most important reaction was to support uh, civic society, civil society of, of, of Belarus, and uh, to earmark EU money to stop, first of all, to, to stop financial flow to the, to the regime and to earmark these monies to, to support uh, to support civic society. I think that is the most important a step and the most important direction where EU needs to work in the future. Uh, speaking on sanctions, on sanctions, there is a there is there there are limits what what sanctions can do, and uh, I would be skeptical that sanctions can can change Lukashenko's uh, policy. They didn't change his policies in in the previous rounds of of, of sanctions. As long as he receives support from Russia, he will always have a chance to survive. Whatever we do, we can apply, we can apply economic sanctions. We can, uh, you know, we can sanction businessmen. We can sanction oligarchs. 
we can go even further and adapt something like we do have right now against Russia uh, for, for, for Ukraine, Eastern Ukraine, we can apply sectorial sanctions against certain uh, areas of uh, Belarusian economy, like uh, fertilizing, fertilizer companies uh, against uh, oil production companies. The question is that we need to keep in mind what we will achieve with this. How big is the risk that we're gonna push Belarus as a country deeper into Russian hands? How big is the risk that we gonna damage the economic situation of uh, normal, regular people on, 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 on Belarusian streets? I would be happy also to hear Franak's opinion on this. Because I think countries like Lithuania, Latvia, and Poland will survive. We are part of the bigger, bigger organization that the transit is not so huge. The transit in overall tra transit uh, that we have, uh, transit from Belarus uh, accounts to about 25% from all the transit that goes through Latvia's uh, transit related from Belarus. From all the cargoes that we, 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 we uh, receive is also about like 30%. It's not. It's it's important, but it's not huge, and our country will not go down go down because of this. But you know, we have to. I think we have to look also geopolitically at what we what we want to achieve and what what we can achieve. Um, Andres, I will. Um, sorry for interruption. I will stop you here. Indeed, we will ask maybe afterwards uh, Franek how he sees from his perspective if uh, economic sanctions would help or they would rather harm and uh, geopolitical implications we will discuss a bit later but for now thank you let's proceed also uh, with others uh, in the first round of question and then uh, let's elaborate a bit more so Hans uh, it's uh, time for you to assess from the perspective of Sweden of the Nordic countries and uh, Europe at large uh, what have been done initially um, Hans I think you have turned off your camera you're back great so please <laughs> Well, thank you. Let me answer this question in, in different capacities. Uh, first, as a, as a Swede, uh, I must say that from a Swedish perspective, Belarus is quite far away, uh, especially if you, if you compare it with Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Uh, we have other historical and also economically and emotional ties with Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania than we have with Belarus. So for the Swedish public, uh, what's happening now in Belarus is very much media driven. So when we see things in media, you have the coverings, you have the photos, you, you have reports about this, uh, what's happening in the jails, the rapings, uh, then, then Swedes uh, want to see some reaction. Uh, and one good example of that is you, you mentioned the uh, ice hockey game. Uh, as you probably know, Sweden is a very good ice hockey nation. Uh, so we really look forward to this game, uh, but it's not a political decision. It's made by the ice hockey federation. But uh, during this media covering what's happening in Belarus, it was a huge pressure on the Swedish ice hockey federation uh, not to have the game in Belarus. 
Uh, and for example, we had also this kind of contact from my party with the Ice Hockey Federation to say that, that Swedes don't like the idea of playing ice hockey in, in Belarus. Uh, secondly, uh, in the other capacity, I represent the main opposition party in, in Sweden, the moderate party, and I'm also deputy chair of the Committee of Foreign Affairs. And, and I, I would say that inside the parliament, it has been more a political decision between government and opposition. Uh, and it's also important to add another fact to that, and that is also that the current government, the Social Democratic and Green Party government, uh, are chairing the OSCE this year. So our foreign minister is the, the chairman of the, the security organization OSCE. And therefore, I think that she's also trying to be, well, try to meddling also in this. Uh, and this opened a window for us in the opposition also to, to have demands on, on, the, on the government. Um, and I would say that the, that the opposition in Sweden, the center-right-wing parties, we have four center-right-wing parties, have been have pressured the government to do more, uh, for example, on, on sanctions. Sweden has not the, the laws that, uh, have, that, that make the, that we have the same ability as, as I understand that the, the, the three Baltic states has, uh, though that we have no national Magnitsky law. And therefore we work with sanctions, not as a single country, but inside the whole European family. So together with all the other in the European Union. So it have been that we have, we have made from the opposition pressure on the government and the government have, uh, uh, have well, in those kind of discussion inside the EU uh, also pressured for uh, sanctions. Um, as a, as a pro-European, I think it was said that it, was, it took too long time for the European Union to have, uh, to have sanction and, and to show that something happened. And we also know that it was blocked uh, for different reasons by some countries inside the European Union, but you need to have all the countries behind, behind you. And therefore I think that for today, it's 84 individuals on the sanction list, and I think it's uh, seven different companies. Thirdly, in my third capacity, uh, and you mentioned I was the former president uh, of the Nordic Council. Uh, I'm also chairman of the third biggest party group inside the Nordic Council, the conservative group. And I would say that as in, in the Nordic Council, we have had lots of exchange with especially the Baltic friends about what's happening in Belarus, uh, because I would say that especially Lithuania is very much our ears and eyes to what's happening in Belarus. But we have also had meetings between uh, the Nordic Council and Svetlana Tishanovskaya uh, and, and others. The conservative group has also a very good and special relation with our sister party, Lithuania, uh, and also with the new former minister, Gabrielus Lansbergis. Uh, and I would also say that the former minister of foreign affairs, Linus, Linus Linkevich, it's also quite popular in Sweden, has good contacts both with the opposition and with the current government. So what I'm saying to boiling down is that for us in Sweden, 
the Baltic states are very much front runners for us. And I would say, especially Lithuania. So we have good contacts with our colleagues in Lithuania, the government to the government, but also opposition to the opposition. Well, not opposition, but opposition to, to Gabriel uh, Landsbergis. Uh, so for us, it's very important to have that, but also to say, uh, and this is important, uh, from a Swedish and Nordic perspective, Belarus is quite far away. Uh, we had a very good ambassador in, in, in Belarus, in Stefan Eriksson, and I would say that uh, Belarus has also, the people of Belarus and the culture of Belarus had had a very good ambassador in Sweden, in Stefan Eriksson also, but it's, uh, well, uh, you need that kind of voices uh, in, in Sweden as Stefan Eriksson uh, is. Um, so this is my picture of the Swedish and Nordic relations vis-a-vis -vis Belarus. Okay, thank you, Hans. So it seems that there are some uh, also domestic um, constraints or domestic uh, issues that uh, move either ahead or block the sanctioning things uh, in, uh, in, in Sweden and probably um, in other Nordic countries. Well, I had, uh, could you please uh, maybe very briefly, very shortly comment, uh, yes, you're right, indeed, uh, Sweden and the Nordic countries are more distant from Belarus, but uh, on the other hand, it is advantage to the extent uh, if you would like to align with the Baltic countries in uh, at least in, in symbolic sanctioning, then you would have uh, basically nothing to lose, right? In the Baltic countries, uh, we had to think twice due to the economic interdependence, but in case of the Nordic countries, as you don't have that many bilateral interactions, well, you could probably freely join the alliance of the Baltic countries and create such a regional bubble of uh, symbolic sanctions. So why didn't uh, the Nordic countries do that so far? Well, first, first, I think, well, at least when it comes to Sweden, we don't have that legal structure that we do that. We do sanctions inside international organizations such as United Nations or the European Union. So we don't do that solitarily. We don't do it by ourselves not even with two or three other countries. But saying that, uh, what the Baltic states have done have been an argument for especially the opposition to press the current government to do things inside the European Union. Um, so but you, you're perfectly right. Uh, Sweden and the other, other Nordic countries has a very low price to pay to do these kind of sanctions. But also to mention, um, we use this kind of sanction regime quite seldom. And, and as I said, we do it always uh, inside uh, international bodies, such as the European Union and United Nations. Okay, thank you. So you have chosen a different approach, let me put it that way. Finally, we have got to, to Franak as well. And uh, Franak, the same question actually goes to you, but let me put it a bit different. So I'm sure that uh, right after the crisis in Belarus uh, erupted, you had some, um, uh, you, I mean Belarusians, and also the, the, the Coordination Council probably had some expectations in respect to the potential uh, responses and level of engagement of international society, and including the neighboring countries and also uh, neighboring regions. So could you please comment to what extent those expectations um, have materialized so far? 
Thank you so much, and thank you for, uh, for having me and uh, hosting such a discussion. Uh, I must say that um, we didn't expect such response uh, neither from Nordic uh, nor Baltic country, countries. It's uh, spectacular, and uh, we were really impressed and shocked. Uh, uh, the first uh, country Svetlana went from Belarus was Lithuania. The first leaders uh, she has met were uh, Scandinavian leaders. Um, almost all the leaders of all uh, Scandinavian, uh, Nordic, and Baltic states um, have, have, have met uh, Svetlana Stichanovska uh, team and herself. And um, I'm, I'm really impressed how, uh, how strong this response and quick this response was. Um, I, I, I must say that this uh, first goal, legitimization of new majority of Belarusians and delegitimization of corrupted uh, government, it was fulfilled uh, 200%. And first of all, thanks to, to this uh, quick uh, and important response. Um, uh, right now, we um, have built uh, ties uh, with uh, governments of, um, of, the, of the countries. And uh, after first initial symbolic meetings with Spetlana, we already developed the strategy of work with each of, of um, uh, discussed countries. For example, with Sweden, we, we work directly on the OSCE track. And it seems that um, we are lucky to have uh, uh, such Troika at OSCE, Albania, Poland, Sweden, uh, which uh, all, of the, all of these countries are very uh, involved in the Belarus situation. And Sweden, uh, not just involved, but they know how to, uh, how to deal with it, uh, because they have experience of many years of supporting Belarus. And Sweden also gives example to the, uh, to the entire Europe how Belarus can be uh, bipartisan, multi-partisan um, uh, policy, because I think in Sweden there is no division uh, in terms of uh, uh, approaching uh, Belarus. And I think many other European countries have has the same, uh, and I think we, we have to stick with this uh, policy and to make that Belarus is, uh, is unifying uh, countries, parties, different forces, and that Belarus is success story. And what, what I wanted to pass uh, again and repeat again, that Belarus can be success story of, of Europe, of Nordic countries, of Baltic countries as well. Uh, we are very close to the victory, but um, since we chose this uh, peaceful, uh, nonviolent form of resistance, we can't um, finish, we can't uh, prevail without support from outside. It's always, you know, a dilemma. Of course, you know, there are many Belarusians who call for for you know resistance, um, and uh, they are ready. They are ready for for more aggressive resistance to to the occupation, which uh, which really happened to Belarus. But we are trying to keep this nonviolent um, uh, discipline culture, and I think this is why we have such support also among among Baltic Nordic countries, and this is why we also expect a bigger involvement, and this is why we repeat about sanctions. I will I will come back to sanctions question. So when Sweden is about OSCE, uh, Estonia helped us a lot with um, uh, United Nations Security Council. Both meetings were huge uh, thing for Belarus and for our cause. And we found out at these meetings who are our allies and who are not yet allies. Um, uh, Finland, for example, during last meeting with, with uh, Finnish ministry and government, we found out that Finland is, is good to build uh, ties with OSCE, through OSCE but also in arranging discussions on, on uh, dialogue and negotiations we are, uh, we are uh, pushing uh, forward right now. 
Um, uh, and now about the best, about challenges. Uh, we don't have much tools, as someone has mentioned uh, here. Um, Belarus is uh, very dependent on Russia, 50% of trade. The second uh, is Ukraine, and uh, the whole trade with the European Union is about uh, 20%. And also there is no much um, economic connection, uh, political, diplomatic connection. So we have very limited uh, leverage, but we still can, can use it. Uh, what we can discuss, how to increase efficiency of uh, sanctions and how to increase efficiency of assistance. And this is where we have enough space. Regarding um, assistance, I will start with, uh, with the easier thing. Uh, the problem is that this assistance that, um, that is provided or promised by different governments, it still doesn't reach people on the ground. Unfortunately, not. I think authorities made sure that all these funds, support for media, journalists, activists, are staying somewhere in the bureaucratic uh, mechanisms. Uh, it's very difficult to bring uh, funds to Belarus. Uh, many uh, people cannot pay their fines. Their homes are confiscated. Their cars are confiscated. So basically, the, the support supposed to help Belarusians is not felt yet there. And uh, what we have to think, how to change the, the way we work with Belarus. Non-conventional situation needs a non-conventional solution. To illustrate, uh, EU support for uh, small-medium enterprise uh, goes through the European Bank of Reconstruction and Development. But unfortunately, companies repressed or closed by government cannot apply for this help. Only those who have registration in Belarus, license to work, can uh, can uh, expect this support. And this is the problem of bureaucracy, of rules, of standards. Support this, this, aid, this aid supposed to help repressed businesses, but in fact, suppressed businesses are eliminated from, from this. And this is about other, other spheres as well. We have to, to think together, to brainstorm separately, how to make uh, assistance efficiently and how to prioritize. Right now, we see the uh, huge attack on media, both new emerging media and traditional media, on journalists, on human rights defenders, on lawyers, of course, on students. And uh, w I think we have to, to, to shape uh, this assistance uh, in the way to help the most vulnerable group. And the sanctions, uh, the most difficult topic, um, uh, why they need... I, oh yeah, I, can I have one minute? Yeah, uh, Franak, uh, my point was that we will come back to the what can we do, so basically also the sanctioning topic in, in the next question. So if I may, I will interrupt you here, so can let's say start a new round and then uh, you can express yourself <laughs> further on, on uh, sanctions and next steps uh, to be taken. Uh, so indeed, you just mentioned that, um, that this is a quotation that we are close to victory. But, uh, well, looking from our uh, perspective, um, it seems that uh, during those seven months, uh, well, practically nothing much has changed in uh, Belarus, actually. So Lukashenko is where he is, and he has become even more cautious. Indeed, as uh, you already mentioned, uh, uh, so there are, there are journalists uh, behind bars, uh, people are being detained even before the, the riots, right? And Svetlana Tikhanovskaya has been just accused of terrorism. So it um, seems that uh, uh, current strategies or so far implemented steps, they do not really work and, and, and some new ideas uh, should be brought. 
and uh, this is what we are going to talk about now and um, well on the other hand I'm happy and I'm glad that it, actually in recent weeks Belarus has become an issue for international community again right it it was forgotten for some period during the winter while protests didn't take place but now it's um, it's on the agenda again and, uh, but it seems that this collective international focus, um, it has shifted to collecting evidence of violence, to, uh, to you know, to, uh, to the direction which um, uh, works with actually implications of the crisis, the effects of crisis. This is good and it's necessary, of course, but uh, we're not really talking about the root causes. Uh, from my perspective, it looks like um, uh, it looks like prescribing. I mean, uh, painkillers for treatment of cancer, right? We're doing something, but probably not with a cancer, but with uh, with with effects. Um, and uh, so it's uh, relevant to ask what could we do differently, or what could we do more individually um, as a Baltic state and Nordic states and maybe together uh, in order to help achieve some uh, tangible effects on the regime, right, on the root cause. Uh, so and maybe how Nordic Baltic platform ha uh, could be used more um, effectively in this regard. Uh, so maybe we could uh, think of new strategies and let me start with Hans as he probably will have to leave earlier. So Hans, how do you see indeed Sweden is, uh, is presiding country in the OECE, so, but we are again talking about the, uh, the, the effects, but what could we do with the, the root cause of the problem and uh, maybe how could we um, use Nordic Baltic cooperation uh, more efficiently? Well, well, the problem is that Lukashenko is a dictator uh, and he's supported uh, by, by Russia. So you have, unfortunately, lots of similarities by, to, 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 to see between Venezuela and Belarus. Uh, so the time is the best ally for the, for the dictator. So I think it's important that we create and uphold this pressure, the political pressure, on Lukashenko, uh, on Belarus, but we must also, yeah, unfortunately understand that that his power is also uh, guaranteed by Russia. Uh, and we, we have one more dimension, which we have not mentioned yet, but it's also the security and the defense dimension, uh, because this is the thing that we talk quite a lot about, and I had a NATO meeting well, we are not NATO members yet, but uh, we had a, I had a meeting with, with Brussels earlier today, and this is something that that they have on the monitors, uh, the, the the defense and security dimension of what happened in Belarus. And at the same time, we hear this kind of, of potential noise also from Ukraine with a, uh, with, with a new threat from Russia, not only Russia's war in eastern Ukraine, but maybe uh, new and, and bigger battles and struggles. So, yeah, I think that the best thing is to have this international pressure and at the same time, as Stranak mentioned, uh, from a Swedish perspective, also try to use OSC as a meddler. Uh, and uh, one of the demands that we have from the Swedish opposition on the Swedish government to press inside the OSC is to 
try to have new fair and democratic election, uh, hopefully this year. But uh, I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's hard to see if it's going to be so, but we try to have the pressure and others need to uh, also have, have pressure so we can have the kind of international, well, monitoring what's happening in Belarus. Okay, thank you. What I, what I heard was about pressure, right? Andres, maybe you could uh, uh, follow up. How can we create this pressure more effectively, right? We're talking about pressure, about elections. Yes, indeed, we need it, but, but how to reach it? Hmm. Obviously, it's a, as someone in the beginning said, there is no, no sole solution for this. Uh, we have to apply both pressures, uh, psychological pressure that we have done already right now from the EU. I think the, 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 I come back to the, my, 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 my first point. I think it's, it's important. Our main, main, main effort should be directed towards supporting, supporting the civic society, supporting people like, uh, like those who are pushed out uh, out of the Belarus with intention from Lukashenko's side to marginalize them. So I think EU needs to add more money. Uh, these uh, 30 million are not enough. Uh, when we need to find ways, as, as Franek said, to, to, to find the ways of uh, more efficient ways how to how to provide this assistance to civil society. I think we, we need to think about people-to-people -people contacts. Our strategy should be long-term strategy. There will be no quick fixes, as as and as I agree with with concept. You know, uh, neither Lukashenko nor Russia will be interested in fast and democratic processes. So this this is one point on 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 uh, support to civic society and people-to-people -people context. Secondly, obviously we have to continue with sanctions. Obviously, I think in autumn, EU as such was not prepared. We have not had, you know, you know, to to invent smart sanctions that doesn't hurt you, but hurts your your opponent. It takes months to 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 prepare. So I think there is room. You know, I I will just mention one. You know, you know, we should think about sectorial sanctions that will hurt Belarus regime more than EU. And one way, for example, is to restrict investment. Like we restricted EU investment and US investment in, in critical sectors in Russia, in oil and, and gas explore, exploration areas and uh, limited uh, financial flows to Russian banks, the same could be done also in Belarus. This will not immediately hurt EU economies, you know, but it will increase pressure on Belarusian economy and Lukashenko's economy on his producing, money producing uh, sectors in the future. So why don't we, you know, agree to forbid EU investment, for example, in potash sector, in oil refineries, in uh, agriculture sectors, you know, future investments, future money. This will be a strong signal to Lukashenko, but will not hurt immediately EU. I will not say everything because obviously we are listened also by Belarusian KGB right now. And I, I just say that, you know, they have to understand that we are working and we are preparing and that our economic ties will not be the factor. Thank you.
Ramones. Uh, yes. Um, Ramones, uh, what would be your suggestions for next step? And maybe still a bit about Nordic Baltic uh, cooperation enhancement. Thank you. I uh, would say that more of the same uh, probably is uh, most feasible and, uh, and most likely scenario because uh, there isn't much more that the EU or, or Baltic states together with Nordic states uh, can do. Just uh, I know that the saying more of the same usually has negative connotations, but uh, in this case, I I see positive meaning in terms of uh, maintaining attention, political attention of the whole European Union to the situation in Belarus, because indeed for autocracies, um, for, for ruling elites in such regimes as Belarus, uh, time is usually a very important factor because uh, time means uh, opposition activists uh, get tired they well they simply experience too 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 many too too much suffering uh, psychological material and other types of suffering so i think uh, yeah those priorities of of uh, supporting of democratic activists and uh, also uh, having in mind additional sanctions uh, which would spill over into particular sec sectors as, as Anjay's uh, mentioned, I think uh, are most likely and probably the, the only uh, directions. And here I think uh, uh, Baltic states could continue taking uh, the lead, uh, and I think Nordic countries could uh, further support them, maybe even more support them inside uh, forums uh, such as the EU, OSCE, UN, and others, because uh, that's uh, how, how uh, common action. Uh, common decisions and, and actions are taken. So um, that that would be my answer. And I would also note that uh, we, sh well, we should be realistic in our expectations so that we are not uh, disappointed too quickly. Um, and what I mean is that any, any authoritarian regime is not easy to change even in cases where ruling political elites are supporting political and institutional reforms i have in mind georgia ukraine uh, we see immense difficulties in in implementing those reforms in ukraine especially in economic area where oligarchic influences are still very strong and and most reforms are half implemented only so and eu's influence is also limited usually abroad especially when it does not offer membership perspective 
So we we should have this in mind so that we don't get disappointed too fast ourselves as well. So I would say more of the same in the future. And the most important thing is to to be the ones who maintain European Union's political attention to the situation in Belarus. Uh, thank you, Ramones. Well, not much of enthusiasm was uh, in the previous two answers. Uh, so, Franek, how does it look from your perspective, what our colleagues just offered? Is it enough? Is it sufficient? And before you answer, uh, let me quote Svetlana Tikhanovskaya on Twitter, and um, then you can elaborate also, um, that um, as she writes, um, uh, OSCE and UN are ready to organize a platform as mediator, as well as to force the regime to negotiate. This is a response to the initiative, right, which is now ongoing, that, uh, uh, well, changes uh, will be uh, implemented or will be reached through the mediated dialogue. And uh, uh, those two platforms indeed were agreed, but what about forcing? How does, it, how, how does it sound to you what our colleagues said before, if it's enough for forcing the regime, if such steps and continuing as uh, now we're doing, if it would be enough for, for forcing regime to, uh, to negotiate at least, to talk? Uh, I think we uh, don't use the, the all opportunities and the resources uh, we have. Uh, and I think international organizations and community can do much more, but it's an issue of uh, political will, of course, priorities, second, and um, media, media attention. Because the politics today is media-driven, and we see that after we change the formats of the rallies in order to save people's lives uh, to more decentralized, to smaller marches, the attention to Belarus decreased, and the speed of uh, support of doing things for Belarus decreased significantly, many, many times. And we now we have, uh, we want to change you know, this, uh, policy from uh, image-driven to values-driven, because this media image-driven policy towards Belarus, uh, it, um, it doesn't lead to real results, because we see that um, Belarusians uh, still support the changes, we see how system is rotten from inside. I disagree that we don't see significant changes in Belarus. You know, uh, people, former high official officials are calling us. Um, and uh, it was impossible to imagine in August last year. Uh, they are sharing information. They are leaking videos. Unfortunately, many of them arrested already. Today we knew that two guys who were leaking videos, they got 20 years in jail for treason. And uh, it, it is not a sign of stability that system is uh, strengthening. More and more followers of those who want changes and risk with their lives, basically, um, uh, people uh, appear, emerge. There are hundreds of, of those who, who are in the system and then helping the changes, and more and more of them uh, are uh, joining. So that's, that's the first sign. Second, uh, I would propose to use the formula uh, EAP we call it, like Eastern Partnership or European Action Plan. Elections, accountability, and, and partnerships. Elections is priority number one. If we all will be speaking in one voice that elections, elections, elections must take place this year, and repeat, elections, not constitutional reforms, not talking to Lukashenko, 
not talking to Russia, but elections. This is a very fair demand. It will help us a lot to not lose focus. We are losing focus because we are trying, oh, perhaps we have to wait, perhaps it's our game, perhaps the situation will not change this year. And this is why policy becomes inefficient. If states, Canada, Nordic countries, Baltic states will be repeating about elections this year, and we will be materializing these elections with practical actions, with pressure by uh, big players, by EU and US, that will help us a lot. Sanctions work. After US announced the lifting sanctions, uh, not lifting, but the, the, the prolongation of sanctions towards nine companies, it was a huge effect. We get so much information, calls, you know, there was such internal dynamic in the government. They are really afraid. They made contracts, they are making now contracts to not write the name of the company they are to avoid sanctions. And we don't have signs that uh, it pushes to Russia. Lukashenko's economy is very dependent on Russia. It can use temporarily, um, in some situations, uh, Russian ports, seaports, Russian uh, channels of, of trade, etc. But it can't solve the problem entirely. Yes, they can trade, they can sell some potash to India, but it will not guarantee that uh, Belarus Kali will, will survive. So uh, I would recommend to, uh, to consider uh, the sanctions poli policy, but to synchronize this policy with all other uh, players, especially with the United States. It's very important because their sanctions right now, their sanction regime is the most powerful. EU sanctions are important, but the regime itself, it doesn't limit from, it's very easy to avoid. European sanctions. Unfortunately, uh, the company's sanctions in 2011-12-13 by EU, they managed to avoid. And this is why we tell right now, all oh, sanctions towards Belarus didn't work. It's not true. They work. But you know, they have to be implemented in a, uh, in a different way. And uh, if I may, um, uh, regarding the, the optimism and the, the time, timeline, I remember such discussion in, in uh, July and August with experts, with, uh, with politicians, stakeholders, no one, no one said there will be change this year, there will be protest or whatever. It's a long game, we have to wait, transform Belarus system, engage Lukashenko's government. But everything changed in August, September, October, everything was absolutely shocking, no one predicted. Uh, in the time of uh, digital technologies, uh, having our capacity, uh, having the absolutely new quality of Belarus society, Changes might happen very quickly. Trigger can be can happen any any day. Lukashenko makes so many mistakes. He makes so many statements. So so many weird uh, appointments. So he can actually lead to this uh, following protest. The problem is: Will we be ready for another critical moment? Will we, as Belarusians, and if international community will be ready to provide Belarusians to sustain their protest and to help Belarusians to achieve what they want, and they want elections? Uh, this is the question. And in order to have it, we should, of course, be ready for long game, but prepare for for quick actions. More more longer we wait, lesser chance for peaceful transition we will, we will get. Thank you, Franak. And uh, from uh, what we have heard just now, it seems that. Uh, the further strategy should include two elements. Um, one of it, it's a positive thinking about uh, elections, right? So if we will think, then there will be elections. And still, uh, in, in a contrary to what um, some of our colleagues mentioned or said, uh, sanctions could work or could help, at least from the perspective of uh, Belarus. And uh, well, um, actually, we're slowly running out of time, but let's uh, take uh, or let us discuss the very final question and let's uh, 
extend our debate a bit to the geopolitical uh, aspect and geopolitical platform. And as already mentioned by, by uh, I guess, all of you, uh, Russia is a key factor in success of Belarusians uh, in, in, in coming months or maybe years. So, uh, do you have any idea uh, from the perspective of, uh, probably from, from the European perspective, rather from Nordic-Baltic perspective, how to um, achieve Russia's non-interference? Are there any mechanisms how uh, Russia's non-interference in um, issues of Belarus can be achieved? So, meaning, how can we stop Russia's support to existing regime? And, uh, well, do we have... Uh, sort of collective will to uh, potentially confront interests of Russia over Belarus. And if we put it uh, even uh, in more different words, uh, it, can we say that Belarus is uh, important enough for the Western community to engage uh, deeper in this crisis and uh, potentially confront Russia? Uh, so, um, and maybe also you could uh, briefly give your assessments or give your comments also to the audience question which is uh, kind of related and uh, audience is asking so what red lines has Putin crossed uh, in uh, Russia's response to unrest in Belarus and what will be the result of such approach so two questions combined if we can uh, prevent Russia of uh, intervening and what will be results of Russia's support to the regime. Uh, so uh, maybe, Franek, now do you have anything to say about this geopolitical perspective? Um, I have to be very cautious about geopolitical perspective because uh, we are not, uh, we, we do not make geopolitical uprising. <laughs> I, I can just say that Lukashenko is becoming very expensive for Russia and the sanctions actually, they do not help Russia much opposite, you know, they make Lukashenko costly. Russia uses uh, Belarus economy and uh, Lukashenko as well. Um, so I think um, it will not be supporting Lukashenko for a long time. They also are looking for the for the solution for other forces, for, for, for other people to support. But we, we, we repeatedly uh, say that um, uh, it's not about choosing uh, between e Russia and Europe. It's about uh, giving elections, and if there will be pro-Russian party, they will compete in free democratic election. But let let Belarus go, and Belarusians to decide. But we we see the same with China. You know, just compare what China, how China was supportive towards Lukashenko in in uh, August, September, but now they didn't provide any loans or any uh, development project. They didn't propose any investment development project in last uh, half year to Belarus. So they are cooling off. Uh, and um, this is the moment, you know, to, to provide, to propose the, another scenario, the roadmap, uh, to explain the, the advantages, advantages of, of uh, such uh, dialogue, what can be discussed. Uh, this is why we ask OSCE and Swedish chairmanship also to involve Russia as mediator, to make sure that Russia will not uh, be blocking uh, these uh, agreements or decisions. So we are trying to be uh, very cautious in this. Russia is our important neighbor, neighbor forever, and we have to include it in the process, but uh, reminding that uh, um, uh, in, uh, not, do not interfere, not interfere. Because right now it sounds like Russia says Belarus, Russia says that Tsikhanovsky don't interfere in Belarus affairs, and this is not correct. 
Okay, Andres, maybe you could proceed. Do you see perspectives how uh, elections could be held in Belarus without uh, sort of engagement of Russia, direct or indirect, uh, with its own candidate, uh, with its own party, or any other uh, uh, other scenario? So, Andres. Well, obviously, Russia will want to manage the processes. You know, be it Lukashenko or somebody else, Russia will want to manage these transition processes. And I think our duty from 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 the West, from transatlantic community, is to remind them that stability, long-term stability in Belarus, is not achievable if political process is not involving all political parties, all political players. You know, you. It's impossible to create a stability if you don't engage people who have been pushed out of the Belarus. So I think, you know, I think Russians understand this. My, my feeling is that they have to understand this. And, and the question is only when they will be able to, to, to proceed to something that will lead to a more homogeneous and, 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 and integrated society. If not, uh, you know, all the projects where Russia has, has tried to impose political processes outside Russia, they have failed at some moment. So I, 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 so I think, you know, at the moment when, when, when Russia will realize that uh, supporting Lukashenko or managing the processes in Belarus uh, is risking to lose sympathies of Belarusian people, that, that's going to be the changing moment. Okay, thank you. So it's kind of proposal just to wait. And uh, Ramones, what about you? Well, <clears throat> I think from the very start uh, of uh, the events last summer, the biggest challenge for democratic uh, activists in Belarus is that despite their wish to simply have domestic agenda which focuses on free and fair elections and this was this uh, this proposal was actually raised by Lithuanian president and other institutions from the very beginning of of uh, of this crisis uh, i mean th this is a consistent lithuanian's position as well that uh, first of all the fair and free elections should be organized and then who, whoever wins them uh, will be taking the legitimate decisions but the biggest challenge is that this wish uh, to focus only on on domestic issues without touching on geopolitics is unrealistic the such a change has clear geopolitical implications at least as seen uh, from the side of Russian authorities. Uh, in Moscow, I think, uh, uh, the understanding of uh, regime change, and I mean introduction of uh, free and fair elections, leads to regime change, at least politically, uh, is seen as something that might be repeated in Russia uh, soon and might threaten a ruling regime in Moscow. So. Uh, and that's just just one one though very important reason why it's impossible not to speak about geopolitics and i think this is the biggest challenge maybe even the biggest tragedy of 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 democratic movement in belarus uh, the, there was no such a case where autocratic regime would be supporting 
democratic reforms in its neighborhood when we speak about post-soviet uh, uh, area i think uh, early 90s was a very short-lived exception unfortunately when when uh, moscow but it was more or less democratic moscow was supporting reforms in neighbor neighboring countries so i think this is uh, unfortunately the main dilemma and Russia has been and continues to, to interfere. EU cannot do much, just be con more consistent in terms of, uh, well, its position that it's up to people in Belarus to decide how they want to live. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the main, uh, should be the main, uh, uh, the main uh element of eu's position uh, it could be of course more straightforward when talking with uh, moscow about that because uh, well at, at least half a year ago some people in the eu were acting uh, clearly not to upset moscow uh, but at the same time it was quite clear that their their restraint was not re reciprocated uh, in Moscow. I mean, uh, the restraint of EU uh, has really no effects on on policies uh, of Russia towards Belarus. So, it it is, I think, the the main challenge, and I don't see an easy way out of this unless something changes the calculus of ruling. Uh, uh, authorities in Moscow, uh, but I, I can't really see what could that be. Thank you, thank you, Ramunas, thank you, Andres, and uh, thank you, Fronak. I think at this point uh, we may finish our today's event. And all in all, I think we had a uh, quite interesting talk, discussion, and we even managed to come up with some concrete suggestions for uh, future steps and uh, let me list at least some of them. So as we heard, a suspension of uh, foreign investments in Belarus could be proposed. Then um, economic sanctions might help as well. And of course, we should uh, continue supporting the civil society in Belarus and society in general. But of course, uh, it's also clear that uh, the resolution of crisis is um, in the hands of Belarusians uh, themselves. And they will still have to solve, sort of figure out uh, how to deal with their own dilemmas. Uh, what I mean with this is that on the one hand, uh, they have to either continue popular protests, risking being detained or even imprisoned, but with hope that this would uh, really change uh, the regime at some point, bring um, expected changes, or they can stay at home. Yes, situation is quite complicated now. But on that side, being on the safe side, uh, well, it means that the regime could last even longer. Uh, so thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me today. And of course, thank you very much for uh, watching us online. And uh, goodbye and Belarus. Thank you.